0: We're in the season of Epiphany, which is a celebration of the Gentiles coming into the faith, signified by the three wise men who pursued Jesus and came and worshiped him. And what a first fruits of what the gospel is, that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people, though we honor the Jewish people and we care for their welfare And we realize that even God has a plan for the Jewish people in the last days, and it's a good plan. It's not a bad plan. It's a great plan. But we also are grateful that the gospel is for the whole world, right? The message of the gospel is for all of us. It's for the whole world, and Epiphany reminds us of that. And so the title of our messages today are Search for the Sacred. That's the series that we're in. And the veil between heaven and earth has been removed. Heaven really does touch earth. If we live only for what happens in these 90 to 100 years we're fortunate enough to live, how futile life is. Life is but a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Life is a breath. It's here today, gone tomorrow. With God, one day is like a thousand years. And so our days are going by so rapidly. But through Jesus, we live eternally because of what he did on the cross and the resurrection. And see, what happens is we get so distracted by the things of the world that we don't search for the sacred. In fact, the sacred is in many realms of society, is being minimized. There's some kickback against that in certain places of society, but generally, we become a secular people. We don't want to talk about religion. We don't want to talk about God. We don't want God in our institutions. We don't want God around because um, humanism is the answer. Scientific progress is the answer, and what we can come through our own ability. This is the only answer, but see that always falls short. Because what does mankind do with technological breakthroughs? We create weapons that destroy mass cities. That's what we do. Man left by his own design and with his own abilities destructs because violence is in our hearts if it's not redeemed by our God. And so the sacred is something we need to pursue and nurture in our lives. And that's what weekly worship is about. So thanks for being here. Right? Thanks for being here because there, there's something more. This is, what, this is what church life reminds us. There, there's something more than what we're living for. And so now we go to the scripture. Now, two weeks ago, last week I preached about CIL Forward. And two weeks ago, I gave a sermon from Psalm 116. How can I repay the Lord? And as, I, as I'm using the lectionary many Sundays... Um, which is a system of scriptures over three years. Today's script, one of the scriptures in the lectionary were Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which is very similar to Psalms 116. And so the message today is, what shall I bring to the Lord? What will I bring to the Lord? So let's look at Psalm 6, 8. Here, excuse me, Micah 6, 8. This is, is going to be a revolutionary scripture to some of you. He has told you men what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Only to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. Today's outline is going to be really easy because today's outline is actually the scripture. And though we typically preach from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, today, now I've read from the Holman and I want to preach the rest of this message mainly from the ESV because the way the ESV translated these scriptures are very powerful. Now I want us to look at verse 8 of the ESV. If you can help me, Jerry, with that. Verse 8 of the ESV says this. He has told you, right about the middle of that screen you're looking at, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but, and here it is, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is is the word of the Lord for us today. This is what God requires of us. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me tell you a little bit about Micah. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. He was speaking to the nation of Judah from which Jesus came. And Judah was under captivity By a secular power. The Babylonians, or the Assyrians, excuse me, at this time. And so the people of God were in a mess. The people of God were oppressed. The people of God were being dominated. The people of God had no um, sense of self-leadership. And so what do you do when when you're in a mess? You say, God, what can I do? It's like making a deal with God in a foxhole. I don't, I don't say that lightly because I, I didn't serve in the military like some of you do, but I've seen movies, okay? So let me just just full revelation right there. But we've all been in that. Okay, I've been before, I remember in high school before I take a test. God, if you help me pass this test, I will go to youth camp this summer, God. God, if, if, if you help me get this job, I'll never I'll never miss church again. or I'll never, We make these kind of deals with God, don't we? And, and then we, we typically don't have the intellectual discipline to remember them because they have to come from the heart. They just come from here, from the mouth and the head. It makes no difference. It has to come from the Holy Spirit transforming your heart. You can only fake it so long. So here is what the people did. They said, God, you know, what can we do? What can we do to get right with you, God. So starting with verse 6, because I want to give you some more context, Micah responds this way. What should I bring? Let's go to the ESV. What shall, with what shall I come before the Lord and uh, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings? Well, that's what the people of many hundreds of years ago did in that early development of Judaism. Should I bring with calves a year old? And then there's a a quantitative question here. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? And with ten thousands of rivers of oil. It's as if to say, if I paid God a million bucks, would he be pleased? Lord, if I had a ten million dollar tithe, would that please you? I'd like to try the Lord at that, wouldn't you? Or maybe it's this, this um, sense of subtle legalism that we have. What can I do to earn God's favor? If I become a pastor, will that accept you, God? If I become a 242 group leader, will that accept, would you accept me, God? Uh, if I become a religious expert and I can be the guy at the Bible study who uh, knows the Greek and knows all the uh, you know, the contextual things, will that please you, God? Well, what will please you? I mean, what is enough to please God? Right? How, how, how often are you going to have to come to church to please God? How many years does it take? After five years, are you a qualified Christian? What's it going to take to please God? And then... This is kind of this exaggerated hyperbole that Micah has. Because in verse 7, then he says something that, that has some spiritual roots, but is something that is also has an evil to it. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Well, the God of Molech was an evil God which with people would sacrifice their babies. And we know that, that God asked for the firstborn, but he didn't ask for us to give our firstborn. And So there's a little bit of... Should we say even sarcasm here? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And here's the thing. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness? And to walk humbly with God. Already in the old covenant. God is moving people from external things that earn God's favor to internal transformation. He's pointing us to what we can't do for ourselves: To be people of justice. To be people of kindness. To be people of humility. You cannot manufacture that on the outside for very long. It has to come from the inside. So let, let's talk a little bit about these three things the Lord wants from us. Because I believe Micah 6, eight is a scripture for our generation. I already told you that. There may, there, I believe someone here, this is a, a, a life scripture for you. Maybe more than one. But this is, this is a very relevant scripture to this generation. Especially to this American culture that we live in. And, and th- this is where we live. Th- these are our people. This is what we're called to do. I'm called to be a missionary to suburbia America. That's what God's called me to do. So the outline, you can write it down yourself. Here's the first thing, is do justice. What's the Bible talking about? Justice is a kind of a cool word right now. It's a trendy word social justice. I believe in social justice and I believe evangelicals should be more involved in social justice. Social justice means that we care not just for the condition of man's soul in eternity, though that's a primary motivation. We, we, we care about what's happening today. We, we care about justice. And as I mentioned the unborn earlier, I, I, I've, I cared so deeply about that issue. But part of being pro-life is also to not only care for the unborn, but to care for those on death row, to make sure they're getting, they're getting due justice, to make sure that the court systems are not imbalanced as in a way to oppress those who don't have accurate representation. This is a pro-life issue. No one should be the victim of capital punishment if they have not had fair representation and if the system has been uh, rigged against them, and we could go on and on and on between the embryo and between our senior citizens who are vulnerable to euthanasia that that matters that matters we 're pro life people from conception to to the last breath. We care about the quality of people 's life, and we care that they have the opportunity to live and breathe and to be. Um, who God's called them to be. So, so this, this, is, this is part of doing justice. Justice is to uphold God's standards. To uphold God's perspective. To uphold what God wants to happen. That's why we care about genocide. And genocide is happening in the world that we live in. And we ought to read the Bible And read the scriptures. And go to our Bible studies. And go to our 242 groups. I've already promoted those. And do all of these things that internally transform us. And at the same time, not close our eyes to the darkness of the world. Not close our eyes to the genocide that's been happening in Africa. With no concern. We're not concerned about the genocide in Africa. Because there's not an emotional connection for most of us. We're concerned more with genocide in Europe than we are in Africa. But there needs to be transformation there. The fact that people are starving today. Not because there's a lack of food, because we can produce enough food to feed the world, but because there's corruption in levels of government and the the starvation is used as a technique to dominate people in North Korea. Listen, these are are things that that concern the world, that that concern the heart of God. And, And it's our responsibility it's our responsibility to care for these issues. It's our responsibility. You know, we can't, we can't do something about every issue, but what would God have us to do? And that's why, teenagers, your education is not just an exercise to control your time. You're being educated to prepare you to change the world. You're being educated to prepare you to do justice, to withhold and uphold the ways of God. And that happens on a big macro level. But justice happens right here individually with the way we interact with one another. Justice is how we treat the workers in the food industry. Justice is our attitude toward those who pick up our trash. This sense of entitlement that just because we have resources and we can tell people what to do so they can receive their paycheck doesn't give us the right to be haughty and unkind. Justice means that we're involved with the issues of our day. And we got to keep this fire burning within us. Because it drifts, it drifts, it drifts. I remember there's a man who used to go to this church a long time ago, and probably I would be surprised if anyone in this room knew him because he wasn't highly engaged. And um so this is probably seven, eight years ago. And we're going to lunch, and I'm sharing something with him about like this. It's like a one-on-one conversation. At the time, I'm 34, 33, 34. And this guy's listening to me, and uh, we're at a nice restaurant. He picked up the bill afterwards, so I'm grateful for that still. And we're eating, we're having a good time. And, he, and this guy, he had been in ministry before. Now he was an accessible businessman. So I'm, I'm saying, we got to do something. At that time, it was Darfur. And, you know, we got to do something about Darfur. we got to make a difference. And finally, he said, Aaron, can I just tell you something? I'm at that stage of life where I'm 40 and I don't give a Hoover dam, is what he said. He said he took out Hoover, okay? So I was like, really? Really? Does that happen when you're in your 40s? I sure hope not. But now I'm 41 and I get it a little bit more. That the idealism of youth begins to fade if we don't watch it, the fire begins to diminish. But Micah 6 says, listen, this is what the Lord wants. He doesn't just want your money, okay? It's not enough just to write your tithes check and just let God leave you alone. Hey, you're hearing this from a preacher right now, right? Okay? You know it's, we're like, send the tithe in, send the tithe in. But I'm just saying that if, 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 if you're doing that but you don't care about justice, you're not reflecting God's heart, okay? It, it, it's it's this, the 40s. And the 50s, and now the 60s, and we'll throw the 70s in too. Uh, It's different than it used to be. This is a time of influence. This this is a time of leadership. This is a time for us to do God's work. And and so we've we've got to continue to position our hearts so it's soft and pliable, and and there's a fire within it to do justice for the things of God, to do the work that he's called us to do and to be the people he's called us to, to be. Here's the second observation from the Scripture. And you've already filled in the blank, haven't you? Are you that smart? Have you figured out what the, one, the second one is? If you got the ESV, you know it's the love kindness. It's the love kindness. And the reason I picked the ESV, because it used the word kindness. Because I think the word kindness is um, the word for the younger generation. We have three generations that are the predominant generations in our church. Oh, you're like, why are we talking about generations again? What do I mean by that? Simply, the year you born determines how you process the world. Okay, so the two biggest generations in society are the baby boomers, the millennials, then you got us Gen Xers, which I am. We're kind of just stuck in between. So sometimes I feel like a millennial. Sometimes I feel like a baby boomer. That's why I'm good. It's good that I'm your pastor. I'm trying to bridge the gap here. But the divide between generations... I believe it's the biggest divide probably our country has ever seen, way bigger than even religious divides and racial divides, possibly, possibly. I know it was saying, it's just big, let's put it that way. A lot of things went through my mind to argue with myself when I said that. So what you can agree is that our generations, we think differently. We think differently. For the millennial generation, kindness is huge. Kindness is everything. I went to a basketball game at Ellis Middle School yesterday and I saw a little sign. Kindness Club meets this week. The millennials, which are roughly, again, those 37 and under right now, you can pick a number, but that's roughly it. They, they want us to be nice. They want us to be nice. There, there is a lot we can learn from one another. And I want to speak to those of you who are younger here first. And I want to tell you is that be wise and learn from your elders. Be wise and learn from your elders. Young people today have a resistance to wisdom. And there's a mocking spirit that is cutting off a source of wisdom that God has for us. And God has given us parents and grandparents and people we go to church to as as great rivers of wisdom for us. And and I, I want to encourage those who are younger here to listen to the older generation and to us in the older generation. Now, I want to encourage us to listen to the younger generation. And what the younger generation is saying, and don't underestimate the power of the statement. They're saying, be nice. You can stand for truth, just be nice about it. And be kind. Do you know what the word kind means? Kindness, um, there's a word kin, which means family. It means treat people like your own family. That's when family's working well. But that kind of tribal mindset where we take care of our tribe, we take care of our family, we take care of our people. um, Kindness says, we're going to do that to everyone. We're going to treat everyone. We're going to fill them with family-like feelings. And the most transformational teaching of Jesus comes from the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And I want to share and remind you of a couple of those today. Matthew 5, 7 says this. Blessed are the merciful, for they, will, they shall receive mercy. One of the things I love about being a pastor is the ability to be merciful. Because I'm going to tell you, life is messy. And if you're involved in a church, a church that represents the heart of Jesus, we are people of Mercy. In that same sermon in verse 9, as we're just kind of skipping around a little bit, Jesus said this, Blessed are happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the daughters of God. When you go around and you make peace, and the places where you go, there's more of God's peace. People say, that one belongs to Jesus. Jesus. Everywhere you go, there's strife. Everywhere you go, there's conflict. You're not operating in our family characteristics. The power of kindness. Listen, kindness can change the world. Why? Because it reflects the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to change the world. And for those of us who are older, if we can tap into the power of that, and if we could try to understand that a primary goal of the, gen, the, the younger generation is for us to be kind and nice, then we can stand up for justice, uphold God's standards with kindness. Amen? Here's the last one. Walk humbly before your God. Walk humbly before your God. Don't be arrogant. Don't be prideful. Be a man or woman of humility. Because it's in humility and brokenness that spiritual fruit comes forth. We have a lot of reasons to be prideful. We're people with access to wealth. We're people with access to education. We're people with access to opportunities. There's a lot of things to be prideful for. And that's why it takes much discipline. And it takes... um, a softening. It takes, it takes an effort. When I say an effort, it's a, it's a positioning more than an effort. Can I say that? We position ourselves to be humble. We, we get underneath the waterfall of God's grace and mercy. And we can just step right on out, can't we? <laughs> we can just step right on out and, and, and we're right by it and we're missing it. The Lord says, position yourself to be humble before the Lord. Humble before his presence. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said these words, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The kingdom of God is advancing through the meek, through the humble, through those who aren't pushy, to those who aren't arrogant, uh, to those who are respectful but firm in who they are in Jesus. I like the New Living Translation of what it says of the same scripture. God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. They'll inherit the whole earth. That's what God does. So you may be thinking today this sermon seems a little silly. It seems a little naive. It seems a little idealistic. Can God really change the world through kindness? Does God really use humble men and women? Can someone who is living in Gallatin, Tennessee, or Goodlitzville, or Hendersonville, or Nashville, um, can someone really do justice? Or is justice just for the Red Cross? Is justice just for the United Nations? Is justice just for the government? Nonsense. Justice is our responsibility. You might say, well, this is silly. this mid-sized church this is the type of message that should be given in this size of a church or or, or this type of setting it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 talks about this gospel we're in it says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but it's God's power for us that are being saved and this message may not mean something Without the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to invite the power of the Holy Spirit in right now. We're going to invite him in right now. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your transformation. No power. How many know the power of God's Word? God decided what He spoke through the prophet Micah. The Lord decided to preserve those words. the scribes and the translators and the Bible societies preserve those words for you. It's a gift for you. Listen, the scripture is a gift for you. Ancient wisdom. Go try to find, go try to find transformational power through something in the mass media this afternoon. It won't happen. Go try to find transformational power through something in literature only today. I know the Bible is literature. Very rarely would it happen. Go try to find transformational power through a song. Yes, a song does change us, but very rarely. Every good and perfect gift is from above. But the power of Scripture, there's an anointing on the Scripture. Listen to me, there's an anointing on God's Word. It was an anointing for those who receive. Some of you say, it's old, it's foolish, it's not relevant to my life. That's because you're resisting the power of the Holy Spirit right now. But for those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God right now. It's the power of God for transformational power. And the Lord just shook some of you up. If some of you, he is shaking up your convenient life and he says, do justice. What, will, what shall I bring to the Lord? Am I just gonna bring my stuff? Am I just gonna bring the religious practice that I've known. The Lord says, no, you do justice, and you love kindly, and you walk humbly before, the, before, the, before God. And how do you do it? You don't do that on your own. You do that through transformation, through God transforming your heart and changing you. We just thank you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. The table of the Lord, we're going to open it up this morning. And you don't have to take communion. A lot of times, Christian people don't take communion. often, I'm not able to get to the communion because I'm ministering and praying with people. But we're going to open it up today. And we're going to give you a chance. If you want to take communion, you can do so with a friend. You can do so um, by yourself. Whatever the case is, I won't give further instructions because I'm about to to dismiss uh, or, or give our benediction for this morning's service. For those of you who are believers and Christians, can I just say something to you? I felt this in worship today. Is uh, The spiritual temperature of this service has always been hot. It's always been a first fruit. It, it's diminishing a bit. And I, I just want to tell you that because if, 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 when you bring your heart in your worship, it, it makes a difference. Okay? And, and I, I debated whether to say that because it kind of makes people nervous. Oh, no, we're not making the pastor happy. It's not that, okay? It's not that. It's just, I know, I just felt this, is that and Beth and I have talked about it, it it's the spiritual temperature at the 9 a.m. service, it's not what it once was, just before, before Thanksgiving. And I know some people are checking out God, and it's not your fault, but for those of you who are believers, bring, bring your heart to the service. Bring your heart to the service. Because your heart changes people around. If it's all just the spiritual energy coming from here, it has little effect because the Bible says one can put a 1,000 to, to fly, two can put 10,000 to fly. That's when we all come together and we say, the, the gospel is alive, the story's alive, it's alive in me and I'm bringing it here so that those who don't know it can feel it and understand it and heaven touches earth, right? Amen.